Welcome to The Culture Factor, where we talk to founders and influential leaders about company culture. We share stories from the C-suite that help executives engage their business from the inside and create a map to transform their culture. Because the truth is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I want to thank our listeners for joining The Culture Factor and ask that you subscribe, rate, and consider leaving a review. We'd love to hear who you'd like to listen to next. And a thank you to our sponsor, Company Tribes. They have an app and a virtual experience to help keep your tribe together during difficult times like now and business as usual. How strong is your company culture? Reach out to Paul at companytribes.com. As co-producers and hosts, I'm Holly Shannon, and along with Paul Jones, we welcome you to another great episode of The Culture Factor. Today, we have Amanda Getz. She hails from the Midwest and resides in New York with her three kids. There, she is the VP of Marketing at the largest wedding company, The Knot Worldwide. She leads PR, social, brand, partnerships, and product marketing strategies across the company's international family of leading life stage brands. Amanda's a former founder. She has analyzed companies for the Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award and has been featured in a documentary highlighting the stories of inspiring female entrepreneurs called Dream Girl. And today we have her on The Culture Factor. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to The Culture Factor. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. It's great to have you here. Amanda, we are so excited to have you and uh, I'm so excited to talk about our topic today. Um, to kind of set the scene, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about passion economy and how that fits into workplace, but could you talk about just passion economy in general really fast? So the passion economy is truly supporting the rise of the solopreneur. A lot of people are realizing that as, you know, work from home right now in the COVID era starts to blend work and life and there's no nine to five anymore that you can do multiple jobs you can take on different projects and you can actually stimulate different passions that you have in your life um, and i do think that there's been an evolution across generations from the you know dad works at a bank for 30 years and is loyal to that bank to now what actually fills a, you know, lights a flame inside of me and how do I fuel my creativity and passion? And I think really millennials and Gen Zers have stimulated this even more for companies. Do you, do you think that companies should support that side hustle? I truly do. And I, and I will tell you why for three reasons. One, passion is not zero sum you don't run out of passion. When I had my third kid, I didn't have less love for that kid because I've already got two. Like that's not how passion works. And I truly believe that first and foremost, you can be passionate about multiple things. And the second thing is it actually helps with problem solving. There are cognitive studies that show when you are stuck on a problem, when you take your mind off of that problem, and actually problem solve something else, that it actually unlocks new ways of thinking about the first problem. So I actually think it does fuel new creativity for your day job. And third, I think that this is a true retention tactic for companies. If you can support and, and 
it goes into the world of social media and personal branding. And there are companies that create rules around, you know, you can't tweet and you can't Instagram during the day. Unless there is privacy rules, there's it's a rising tide lifts all ships. When I speak on a podcast or I speak at an event, whether or not I am, you know, talking about being a female founder and my female, you know, in my my company I'm building on the side versus, you know, just marketing in general, I always have my VP of marketing at the Not Worldwide there. And that is added impressions and share a voice for your your company. And so you help elevate the brand. So I do think that when a personal brand elevates, it actually raises the brand as well of the company. Wow, this is uh, this is such a great thought. And, you know, I think about... Um, I think about all the passion work that people do for free all the time. For example, Linux. Linux is open source. Developers get off work, they go home, and they code in Linux. They, they build Linux. And so I think you're totally right that supporting the passions that your employees are, are doing is a fantastic way for a company to get their exposure out, get their brand out a little bit more. Um, but I don't see that happening a lot. Like it, it, this seems to be very cutting edge right now uh, that not a lot of companies are necessarily going to be very supportive of your passion projects on the side or your side hustles. Why do you think that is? So I think Google started it, right? They start, they're actually the ones who started the 80-20 rule where 20% of your time you can spend doing whatever you want, building whatever you want. And then I don't fully know why that, didn't bleed into the other companies. You know, we all see Google as this, you know, they were the ones to first have the cool office space with the bean bags and the free lunch or whatever. But no one took that to heart because it was like, oh, it's just Google. But I think it's also because moonlighting has always had this negative stigma. And as you continue to do something in your spare time, it was kind of a hush hush thing like, don't ask, don't tell. But in the world of social media, there's no longer a don't ask, don't tell. You're going to promote it. You're going to talk about it. And then it becomes this blurriness of, well, at what level can someone no longer moonlight? Like if you babysit or teach a fitness class on the side, is that okay? But then if you launch a D2C brand, is that not okay? And where is, where is the line there? And my answer is there shouldn't be one. If you are a culture that actually focuses on the right things, which is outcomes versus output, you have a very clear strategy of how you're going to get there. You know what success looks like. You've defined it for everyone and they are hitting those goals. Then it doesn't matter. Like as long as the company is moving forward, then you should allow people. And, and I think that that's a really hard thing because operational efficiency is not what every company actually optimizes for. There are still companies that optimize for optics. You know, last one there gets rewarded. Um, you know, if you're still online at 8 p.m., you're like pat on the back. But that's truly, I think, COVID has helped us to realize like burnout is a thing and not everybody can do that. And how do we actually focus on operational efficiencies and excellence. And I'm hoping that we're just on the cutting edge of this and that five years from now, this conversation will look very different. You know, I want to jump back just a tiny bit because you were saying, you know, 
having a voice on social media. Um, I think you and I kind of met on Twitter. Um, I had listened to you on uh, a marketing event with Morning Brew, and um, I reached out on Twitter and we've talked a little bit. And I know that you had mentioned about you know, some promoting on there and talking about business and different things. So, um, has that tapped into new business for you? And, and maybe it's been advantageous that while others might view that as self-promotion, that actually it turned out to be business promotion as well. Absolutely. I mean, just even taking a 30,000 foot view, you think about these companies like Glossier and Emily Weiss, for example, like, she, whenever she's speaking on a panel, you think Glossier and her brand is tied to like how you think about Glossier. And more and more as, I mean, Gen Z will definitely drive this home, but what a company stands for and who works there is really important and how they, how they talk about the world and how they interact with the world. No longer can a company just be like a, a, an e-commerce page. People want to know, Who's behind this company? What do they stand for? Um, and so with my Twitter experience, so this is crazy, but I just joined Twitter a year ago after like a hilarious debate that I like, I really thought Twitter was just like a male echo chamber. And <laughs> I, I was, I was in a conversation with a guy friend and he was like, I promise you it's not like you need to find your own niche on Twitter. And he's like, just try it. Try it for six months, and if if you are proven right, like you can sign off and never log in again. But what happened was, I found marketing Twitter, which became this like amazing place where marketers come together and support one another. They talk about brands, they talk about brand strategy, the you know the the cold war balance of growth versus brand, and all that fun stuff. And what happened was, I started to get more and more speaking opportunities and brand partnerships. Like I would talk to the, you know, head of digital marketing at Chipotle and all of a sudden we're like starting to jam on a possible brand partnership or something like that. And that would have taken me multiple cold emails to figure out how to get into a brand. Whereas now it's just natural synergies and friendships and we're all figuring out how we can help each other. And so I, I think that Self-promotion and building a personal brand, again, has this negative stigma. And what I really, really want companies to realize is when you support somebody in that, it it truly does unlock new business opportunities. Yeah, I, I believe that there's almost, it almost creates like a seamlessness. Um, I think people actually want to feel that um, they can touch that brand in a way to like, it, so there's a person attached to it, but it just feels more special. It doesn't feel like this big behemoth or this brick and mortar building. Now all of a sudden it feels like part of their community, part of their people, they can chat with them. Um, it, it feels different. I, I think actually it's, it's just beneficial yeah, the personification of brands in general is like the holy grail of a marketer, right? To have a brand evoke a feeling, and that is really hard through just a visual identity, but people easily evoke feelings and relatability. And so the more and more you can elevate the people behind the brand and what they stand for, I truly think that you're allowing a deeper connection with your community. How do you think um, 
all of this affects company culture and and does it at all? Um, and may, I mean, you could speak to the not if if that makes the most sense as opposed to universally. Well, I think you. I'll speak universally first and foremost because I think without a clear stance, like Google put out like 80-20 or, or 10% rule or whatever they had it as, um, 10% of your time, go build whatever you want. It allowed for this um, culture of support and curiosity. But when you, when a company has, I mean, in the absence of knowledge, people fill it with their own opinions. And so when in the absence of a clear cultural stance around what people can do in their spare time, um, that creates jealousy, you know, trying to hold people back. It, it can really create a negative, toxic, like cultural response because, you know, the one person that has that entrepreneurial spirit and is going after something, there are going to be people that say, well, I didn't know I could do that. And that's up to the executive team to set those standards so that it doesn't actually impact the culture. And that's where I see a lot of companies go wrong because they're not setting their people up and, and especially the entrepreneurial types up for success. Like if you, it takes work, like I have to tweet like five to six times a day to, to get to, you know, building up a, a following. That is a lot of work and effort but I love it because I love actually connecting with people. Not everybody is going to do that, but I also shouldn't feel like I'm doing something wrong just because I am doing that. And that is a personal, you know, mission and something that I truly enjoy doing. And again, it's all comes from the top and how do you set the cultural, cultural precedent? Amanda, I want to go back to the sentence. If I could just take one of the sentences you just said, you said something like, I have to tweet six times a day. <laughs> and if I could just take that sentence out of context and go back 10 years and let someone listen to that, I wonder <laughs> what they would, what they would say. Exactly. But, like, but you know what? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you, what is the future that everyone's tweeting? What is happening? That's exhausting. Yes. It sounds <laughs> terrible. Um, you know, you're kind of. And what are these birds tweeting about? <laughs> As you're talking, I think what you're talking about is scarcity versus abundance. And back in the day when, when you know, people were showing up and they were working at a factory, it was about output. How many pieces could you put together? How you had to work your shift. You had to hit a certain quota. And it was very mechanical. Um, today, it, because of the internet, Everyone, a lot of people are in jobs that are knowledge-based jobs that require creativity. And I think this point is, is so well taken and, and it's so necessary right now um, because the biggest return you're going to get on your employees is how creative they are going to be and what problems they're going to solve from you. So I love that how you mentioned output to outcomes. I think that's a huge trend right now um, where – Companies that are, are trying to manage off of just output are going to be struggling because you can't just say, you know, you need to work. My sister, for example, she works for the government and her manager requires her to work six hours straight every single day and she has to check in. That's what she has to check in with them about is how long she's been working. 
not about the initiative. And I think that kind of management style just kind of stifles creativity, which is so important and so critical to businesses today. And she'll burn out so quickly. Like, that's just not sustainable. And also, to add to something that you said about creativity, and another thing we don't talk about is optimizing for your creative hours. And so I am kind of a crazy person and spend a lot of time uh, understanding gut health and the head-gut connection. And I went and had all these tests done to understand like truly why I'm a morning person and why my creativity, like, I'm like, I know I'm really creative from the hours of eight to 10, but can science prove that to me? Like why that's happening? And I had these cortisol tests done to show that my cortisol is like twice as high as a normal person's from the hours of like 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then I crash at like 1 to 2 p.m. And then I even back out to a normal level around 5 to 7. So it truly was like scientifically proven to me why I love to get up and get everything done before 11 a.m. And why do why are we still living in a world to your point we are not on an assembly line you know cranking out whatchamacallits like we are a knowledge-based industry for the most part i mean there are still customer service jobs that you need to be on or or, or you know this is strictly talking about let's call it like tech sector but um why are we still optimizing around very specific and rigid work hours don't that don't work for many people. I know people that don't hit their creative stride until 8, 9, 10 p.m. when it's quiet in their house and they can actually think and they stay up until, you know, midnight and that's when they crank. Mm-hmm. Why does that person need to log back in at nine o'clock and be online just for the sake of it? And so again, I think that companies need to start having these conversations of like, what does a culture look like that optimizes around the person and their best work? And that could mean something where working hours, meaning meeting times, are only between the hours of 10 to 4. And you, those are the times that you can attend meetings. And don't get me started on meeting culture and, you know, how we we are having way too many meetings for the sake of meetings, but, um, and then letting people have the freedom to do their best work when they do it. Yeah. It's all about human optimization. Right. I mean, if you really let the C-suite dictate an archaic type of company culture and you don't look at what's happening today where culture actually could be defined by the people who work there, and build business in- outcomes around that, you're going to end up with a really happy workforce. I mean, you're allowing them to um, get education on the side if they so choose, or dive into passion po- projects if they so choose, or travel and work remotely if they choose. Or and be I with think their kids, you know, exactly like uh, embrace. Some- I don't believe in work life balance, but I believe in being in control of when I want to see my kids and optimizing mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, just to jump back to something you said earlier, you know, you tweet, uh, you know, six times a day, you know, th- there's a, a lot to be said about that. You might 
be inadvertently creating these online think tanks and crowdsourcing ideas. And they might just be like random thoughts you're having that are incubating throughout the day. And you don't even realize that you're, you're actually edging towards something really great. And you're, you're creating these little think tank moments. And then you're having these interactions with other people that are saying, wow, let's talk a little bit more about this. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Like I now use Twitter almost as like just an open journal. Like I, if I have a thought of like, oh, this brand could really do this, or I, I do like CMO hot takes of just like ideas for brands, like free ideas. Like a, I, I think I called it like my free Mio thread, where I was like, I'm your free CMO right now. Here are like ten ideas for different brands, but. Yeah, it's it's truly just an open journal for me of creative ideas and things I'm thinking about. And what's great is it's like when when you reach a certain level of followers, you are getting quantitative feedback on what topics are important to people or what ideas have steam. And I think that that's the really cool part about social media. You know, it's interesting you say that I have, uh, you know, notes on my phone with like 20 business ideas. I think I'm going to take your advice and throw out some hot takes. Yes. <laughs> and then you'll see if one of them has steam and you're like, wait a second. I think well, I maybe somebody here. will do something with it. It'd be lovely, right? Exactly. I can't do it all. <laughs> you can't do it all, but somebody could. There's. I saw somebody tweet the other day like, hey, who could, who wants to pay me for ideas? And I saw like, 10 people respond being like, I know a guy. And I was like, wow, you could get paid to just have really great ideas. You know, um, you're kind of making me feel a little bit guilty, Amanda. Uh, about 10 years ago, we had an employee that was uh, selling uh, clothing gear, like a clothing brand on the side. And it became this trend in the company and everyone was buying his stuff. And we decided that that was not focusing on the right things at work. And we actually let him go because of it. And as I'm thinking about it, it, it really wasn't taking away. I'm trying to remember, but I don't think it was taking away from his outcomes that, that he was required or, or that, that he was supposed to hit. It was just an opportunity for him to get really excited and build his own tribe or his own community inside of the business. And I, I think that was now looking back on it and, and having this conversation with you, I think that was a wrong move on our part. Well, it, it brings up a great question of how much does your side business come into the workplace and um where's that line as well? Like if he was doing it on the side and using his own social media channels, et cetera, but um, if it was like he was selling to the peop to everybody that was working there and they felt kind of like awkward, it's like, oh, okay, I want to buy this because like, you know, I work with him or I work for him. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets a little trickier because um, you don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable or um, I guess the word I'm looking for is just like, like obligated. Yes. Obligated to buy from people and, and right. support their side businesses. And so I, I truly believe again, there are clear boundaries to this and how can we allow people to feel supported, but also not make the workplace become this like 
e-com platform where you're buying from every single person. I mean, we've all been hit up by like an MLM. I'm from the Midwest, which is like ML cap, MLM capital, capital of the world here. And everybody's selling Rodin and Fields and, you know, you name it. And you feel you feel a little guilty saying no, and you don't want to bring that into the workplace. You don't want anyone to feel guilty for not supporting one another. So again, I, I think that that's a very interesting use case, and it brings up this question of where do you draw the boundaries of how do you bring that into the workplace and interact with your, your, your colleagues around your business? Mm-hmm. So what would you have if, if- – you know, for everyone that's listening here and there, there's some of them might be saying, Hey, I, I want to kind of change how I'm leading our company going along with these ideas. What, what would you recommend when it comes to creating a, you know, a passion economy or a side hustle plan for the company to roll that out? Um, yeah. So step one is understanding the appetite for allowing, you know, a passion economy within your workplace and within your work culture, and then defining that. What does that mean? It it may mean for many people taking a a page out of the Google book and saying, hey, we want to support you. If you have, you know, a side hustle or whatever, we fully support that. Um, And here are our parameters. Um, You know, you can't sell to anybody during, you know, through work channels, but if somebody wants to support you on your social media and they follow you on Instagram, that's really fine. But First and foremost is just stating publicly to your company where you, where you are. What's your stance on this? And then two, if you truly support this and you believe like, hey, I want to help people have like side revenue streams or side like creative juices flowing, how can I foster that? Like, do you offer a class on personal branding? How, what's the best way to use Instagram and Twitter? Um, do you have people in your company who are doing it well lead a lunch and learn. So it shows you that it's not a negative thing, that if someone just grew their Instagram following from 1,000 to 20,000, have them lead and have have the company show like, hey, we see you. That's awesome. We support you. Um, And so I think thinking about that in two ways, like one is the actual statement of what you support. Two is like fostering that support. And then the Third one goes back to the human optimization. Like how do we optimize people as real humans and starting to create more um, efficiencies and operational excellence around the outcomes, the meeting hygiene, and how do you focus on, hey, as long as you're getting your job done, I don't care where you are at two in the afternoon. If you went for a run, great, because you were tired and you hit your sluggish moment, I don't care. So making it not so difficult for someone to put their Slack notification as on a run, be back in an hour. And I think that that's a really key thing of transparency. Like when I, so I I have my kids 50% of the time and on the days I have my kids, I left work at four o'clock and I didn't like hide and I didn't sneak out when no one was at their desk. I would publicly state, guys, I'm leaving to go see the kids. I will be back on at 8 p.m. to check emails. If you need me, text me. So I did two things. I was super transparent and I managed expectations and I made sure that they knew how to reach me. So that's what we have to continue to reinforce as leaders to say, it's okay to go be with your kids. It is okay to focus on self-care and go for a run. 
but you need to communicate it. So if someone needs you, they know one, where you are and two, like when they, when you can be reached, if we started to do those things, we would all be living a much like much more balanced life. I agree. I, I think people are trying to, in this new normal, figure out how to do that. I think because we're immersed in work and home and not leaving, it's so hard to define your work hours. I feel I feel like we're all on like this 24-7 cycle. It's so hard to do that. Um, I, I, I agree with you that we should. And, and I think a classic nine to five day just does not exist at all anymore. Um, but it really is hard. I, I, I don't know about you, but I find that I'm, I, I can't believe how many times I jump on, you know, uh, social media, checking something, posting emails, whatever at the weirdest times. And I shouldn't, you know, I think we all have to learn to, um, you know, close, close down the borders on ourselves, right? Like not set our own personal expectations. I guess that's part of that human optimization piece, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Amanda. I think you've given myself and, and a lot of people listening uh, some great things to think about and some really good uh, strategies and some next steps that we can take to build and really accept the passion economy. So thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it was really great having you, Amanda. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk soon, guys.